This is a podcast by One Life Christian Church in Baldwin, New York. We pray that the following podcast would encourage you, build you up in the gospel, and lead you closer to Jesus. We remind you that these are simply tools to help you in your walk and ask that you still look for a local church to attend and serve in. Welcome to the living room. Um, I wanted to start reading something because I don't want to not recognize that tomorrow and today actually is the actual birthday of Martin Luther King. And as I was reflecting on that this morning, a quote came up that I wanted to share with you as we roll into today's message. And it's from a sermon called Loving Your Enemies, which we all do well and we love to do often. And it was, the person who hates you most has some good in him. Even the nation that hates you most has some good in it. Even the race that hates you most has some good in it. And when you come to the point that you look in the face of every man and see deep down within him what religion calls the image of God, you begin to love him in spite of No matter what he does, you see God's image there. There is an element of goodness that he can never slough off. This impacted me reading these words, and I chose not to use words from a a speech, a political speech or a civil rights speech instead to use words that he would share in a sermon on a day like today, today his birthday, and that his living faith was active both while he was outside of the church but also in the church. And do you understand that in the time, in the generation that he was a part of, specifically with civil rights, that what these words meant Right? Like you would walk outside of your building, you would walk outside of your church, and in any moment there could be a riot or police attacking the people or vice versa. And this meant a lot for him to stand and say, Hey, can you look at your enemy and say that in that enemy, that person who I know hates me, hates me for whatever reason, I can see the God in him. I can see the God in her. And it's just a reminder today, we're not speaking about forgiveness, but I thought that we would start there as we talk about faith. And the reason being is that sometimes we're hard on ourselves. Sometimes we have stories and we have a past that doesn't allow us to progress in what God has called us into because you keep going back to who you were and you keep giving credit to that brokenness that happened in your life and to the season perhaps of your life when the enemy had power. Because remember, we can either belong to the light or we can belong to the darkness. But the more times you keep going back to that brokenness and the identity that you had before you found light and the Father, the more we continue to give the power back to the enemy. And sometimes that affects, or many times, or every time, that affects our faith. A lot of A lot of people believe that there is a contrast, a stark contrast between faith and works. Like they cannot coexist. And I share with you today, and I'm going to try to prove that to you via scripture, that that is false. 
Last week, we started our new series, Rooted, and we spoke about how crucial it is to make Jesus the Lord of all as believers. And today, we keep the conversation going about being rooted in his lordship. And part of being rooted in Christ includes the health and evidence of our faith in Jesus. I heard Francis Chan say in a sermon that I was listening to this week, he says, a lot of people say that uh, your integrity or your character is best known when you are by yourself. And he says, I challenge that thought and I say that your integrity and your character is best shown or truly demonstrated in its most genuine form when you are at work. And I thought about it, I'm like, hmm, it's at work that we spend most of our lives. Who are you at work? And I deal with a lot of people. And so when some of you come into my office and I know that you have that drive to like, how can I make my faith evident at work? A lot of it, I realize a lot of the testimonies that are shared with me, I find that there is shame. We're ashamed of our faith. We're ashamed for people to maybe think that we are fanatics or that we believe in something weird or we don't really want to have to explain our faith to other people. But Elder Layton showed me this week a video of a famous magician who is an atheist and he says, if you really do believe what you believe about God, what type of hate do you have in your heart that you wouldn't want to share that with somebody else? And I say this to you many times, that one day we will stand before the Father and we will have to give account for everything that we have done and also for our disobedience for not sharing the gospel. So who are we when we're at work? Romans 10 verse 17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. As we draw near to Jesus and we learn his truths, we grow more and more aware of our vacancies. As our Drawing nearer to Jesus grows our own lack, our brokenness, our deep, deep need for him is more apparent. And we've been studying in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 3 in particular, after verses, verse 9, from verse 9 to about verse 21, where Paul is reminding the Romans to remember who they are that they want to declare themselves as good, but that no one is good. And how often they go back to cursing, often they go back to foul um, character displays, their poor attitude, how many times they engage in unforgiveness. And he says, the reason why we can't call ourselves good is because we still engage in some of these rotten acts. But the closer we draw to Jesus, the more that's made apparent And I pray that you are at that stage of your relationship in Christ where you feel conviction for when you act up. Even if it's something that other people do not see, the spoiling from within your heart. As we grow and are rooted further in Christ, that becomes more evident in us. And because God is good, he allows us the ability to grasp, however, to grasp faith, to grasp it and to make it our own. But what is faith? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I know you probably have a plate of that at your house. You probably have a little mantle with an etching in it. Like, I I want you to understand this. Faith is confidence and faith is trust. 
And the object of our faith is God and his promises. Our faith is only as good as the object of our faith. You can believe in a piece of wood that is shaped like a bull as much as you want, but the truth is that you can pray to that your whole life and for generations as many have, but that idol can do nothing for you. To trust that he is who he says he is and who his son is and to have total confidence in everything he has promised us The how, the when, and the why matter less than the fact that if he has established it, we must have confidence in it. A lot of time we base our faith too much on the emotional, on the tangible. Well, God, you're allowing me to go through this situation. It must be because what you said is not true. And you know I like to have my moments of being vulnerable with you, so let me share this with you. I was with my therapist, who I see once a month on Monday. Don't be offended. Therapy's a good thing. I know some of us, you know, we still live in that place of like, oh my God, the record. Remember the record? It's going to be on your record. It's all right. It could be on my record. (laughs) And I'm with my therapist, who's a believer, Dr. Daisley, actually, who's going to be with us for our marriage mini conference. Please, if you are married in this house, you might feel like your marriage is perfect. I know you don't. But I invite you that for this day that you would sit in this room and be with us while Dr. Daisley leads us in this beautiful um, mini forum about pressure-proofing your marriage. But I'm sharing with him and I have a moment where I start speaking about how I'm feeling about my wife. And I'm just like, week after week I stand up here and I talk to people about the importance of having a living faith, about believing that God and his promises are true, but then I go back home and I have these moments of my flesh and I look to the Father because I have that type of relationship with my Holy Father where I can go to him and I can struggle with him genuinely. And I go to him and I say, I preach so often about your deliverance, about your healing, about your miracles, but my wife is still struggling through cancer. How difficult, Lord, it is for me at times, as much as I don't want it to be. And I'm sure you can understand that, and I'm sure you can relate to that. Father, we've done so much. We have given up so much to do your work. You do it for others. Why don't you do it for me? I'm not alone in that, right? But yet my job is to have faith, trust and confidence, even when I cannot see the intention of God for even the darkest of my spaces, for the most burnt of my forests. I have to trust that God has a plan. And listen, friends, I know that it is difficult, but that's why it's called faith. Faith doesn't make sense. You often have to demonstrate this fullness of confidence even while not seeing that which you have confidence in, but this is faith. We don't physically see Jesus, but we must trust that he is the only way to God the Father. Remember that you also have the option, however, to not trust and to not believe. I don't want you to ever think that you're in a jail. No, God wants you to choose him lovingly and intentionally. You have the option, friends, to get up out of your seat and leave this room and deny Christ. 
You have that option. And as I'm sitting there complaining to Dr. Daisley, he looks at me and he says, you have the option to choose not to believe and to stop preaching the gospel. But let me ask you this question. If you choose to stop and you choose to stop believing, what else are you going to choose to believe in? And I had no answer for him. And literally when he said that, he and I started crying together. Because as difficult as our faith sometimes feels so like heavy upon us, right, to sit in that faith, as difficult as it is to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ at times because we just don't see it and our hearts want and our eyes want more evidence, what else would we choose? He is the giver of your life. Why is faith important? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Do we get this? For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This past week, I learned a little bit more about a sect, or I would call a cult, called New Heaven and New Earth. You may never have heard of it. Pastors in particular, we get a lot of phone calls from them, a lot of text messages, Facebook messages, and it's a cult that exists all over the world. And one of their beliefs, and they're very secretive, by the way. If anyone has ever invited you to a secretive Bible study and don't talk so much about it, it's probably a cult. I learned this weekend that there are sects of Christianity that believe that the Bible is not as simple as it seems, that one must decipher and decode scriptures to fully understand the Bible. And friends, this is false. This is as clear as day what we're reading. It says that without faith, it is impossible to please him. And the him is God. Additionally, this text says that faith means that those who draw near to him must believe that he exists. To doubt that he exists is to lack in faith. But to believe in him is to believe that he rewards those who seek him. And of course, as always, what are the key words there? The key words there are draw and seek. Those who draw near to him and those who are constantly seeking him. The comforts, listen please, the comforts of nominal Christianity have blurred the beauty of drawing and seeking and has created a, theolo a theologically false culture of decreeing and declaring. I know that was a mouthful. I'm going to say that again. The comforts of nominal Christianity, which is what a lot of us experience and this is not something in our generation. This is forever. People that simply say with their mouths, but not with their hearts, that they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The comforts of nominal Christianity have blurred the beauty of drawing and seeking and has created a theologically false culture of decreeing and declaring. And I ask you, remember, we talked last week about the lordship of Jesus. Who is the master? Is it you or is it him? Because without Knowing Christ, we dare engage in theologies that teach that you have the authority to stand and say, I decree and I declare, but you never even went to the Father for what his heart was. 
First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 11 says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 17 says, Love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Friends, there's no code here. If you need Jesus, look for him. And I've said this before. What we want is his miracle, but we don't want to have to look for it. No one's asking you to look for your miracle. He's asking you to look for him. Look for me. And what does this say in Proverbs 8, 17? It says, and those who seek me diligently. So sometimes we will say, hey, I want to find Jesus. And so, okay, I'm going to give Jesus this one prayer a day. But this says to seek him diligently. Scripture reminds us to constantly be in prayer. And Isaac, what does that look like? I have to go to work. No, it's a posture of your heart. Because you could be at work with a drill in your hand. I know we have a very handy church here. You could be at work, at your desk, with a drill in your hand, with a hammer. And you could say, Lord, I need you. I need you. Now, I need you for now. I need you for later. I need you while I'm sleeping. I need you for tomorrow. I need you for my family. But you're constantly in this seeking posture. It's the posture that I invite you guys into. A posture of faith. So many people have this um, contrast, this deep contrast of faith and works. But I'm going to share this with you. The contrast exists in the type of faith that you have. You can have a living faith and you can have a dead faith. And a living faith is what God invites us into. A dead faith is a faith that says, I believe, but my heart never shows it. I believe, but I don't do anything that demonstrates to the world that I am someone who trusts and believes in Jesus. And I know this might get annoying, friends. But my job is to direct you and lead you towards the cross with me. And it's of little value to me if you come here and just clap your hands at things that feel good to you. But I invite you to reconsider what your life looks like when you leave this building. Can someone look to your life and your testimony at work especially and say, oh, oh, she's different. There's something different about her. There's something different about him. And for some of you, if you don't work and you go to school, do people at school look to you and say, oh, you know what I do know about him? What I do know about her is that she loves Jesus. She's different. We have to be different. We can be in, but we're not of. Does that make sense? I'm among you, but I'm not like you. But I want you to have what I have. I've tasted and seen that my God is good. He is so good that I want you to have some of this. But our shame gets in the way of that. Our young adults, I know it's hard. You have your friends and you maybe don't want to lose them. And I don't want you to lose your friends. But Jesus also tells me, you have to be willing to hate your mother and your father. And if you are unwilling, you cannot be a disciple of mine. What does that mean? He doesn't want you to hate your parents, friends. But if so required to, that you would be willing to do that for him. Does that make sense? We serve a master. If we are to declare anything, it should only be with his permission and his 
authority. We're called to be heralds of the king and not masters ourselves. He is our Lord. He loves those who love and seek him. And in our diligent seeking, we will find him. These are promises that require a living faith. If you seek me, you will find me. So what does a living faith produce? James chapter 2, verse 14 to 26 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Many people think, many people believe that there is a dichotomy between faith and works. But again, it's not true. All believers must desire this living faith. And the the tension exists when there are those who believe that it is only because of works that salvific grace is rendered. Grace, friends, let me make this very clear, is the free gift of God through faith alone. So doing good things, doing good works is not for you to attain salvation. You're not racking up points in heaven because you help other people and because you're good at forgiving others. That cannot get you saved. But what James is saying is that a saving faith is a living faith. A living faith is one that produces righteous works. When our faith is alive, we produce fruit of good. His spirit within us becomes evident in the outward. So according to this text, if faith has no works, it's dead. You can be rooted in a dead faith that produces no fruit or in a living faith that produces fruit of good. And as always, you can choose this for yourself. But sadly, many people choose a dead faith. And why do they choose a dead faith? Consider this. If it's been you, perhaps, if you are someone who calls yourself a Christian, but your life doesn't demonstrate your faith in Christ. Why do we choose to operate and live in a dead faith? And again, I share with you that I believe it is, that it's shame. Shame not only to share the gospel, fear not only to lose the good things about your existing life, but also a shame in yourself. Some of us exist in spaces like that, where, Lord, I am not worthy of what you have to give me. And I thank the Lord that it's not about our worthiness. It's about his desire for us. Consider the story of of Zacchaeus when he witnessed the king coming into his city. He climbs a tree just to get a glimpse and catches the eye of the Savior. And that day Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' house. And immediately Zacchaeus transformed, had a transformed heart and had faith that immediately produced good. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He robbed money from people. Good, lowly, hardworking people. And what happens the minute Jesus steps into his house? And this is a real story, but also symbolic. He allowed Jesus into his space. He allowed Jesus into his heart. And immediately, 
without having to have much convincing on Jesus' end, Zacchaeus says, everything I've taken, I'm going to return to them four times what I took. It doesn't take much. If you have a genuine experience with the living king, it doesn't take much for you to immediately begin to produce good fruit. If you're someone who struggles with evil and you produce more evil than you expected and you're producing the same output as before you said or claimed to trust in Jesus Christ, I would ask that you would consider to yourself, have I truly received him in my heart? And only you can answer that. We're not here to judge you. We're here to consider what scripture tells us about a living faith. John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you see the importance of good works combined with a living faith? The world will, will know that you are a true believer because of the love you display. Our love is our fruit. It isn't enough just to say you believe. By your love will all people know of your faith. I don't, I don't want us to miss that. Because Christianity has made a poor name for itself because of our lack of love. I had a mother reach out to me this past week as we're preparing for this deeper uh, conversation with our young adults. And I encourage you young adults to please sign up for this conversation, 18 to 30 year olds. It's about intimacy, sexuality. It's about faith. It's about how to deal with dating relationships. What does marriage look like? We want to give you that safe space to have this conversation. And a mom reaches out to the church Facebook and she asks a question like, what is it that you're going to cover about sexuality? Because I have someone who might be interested, but they struggle in what they feel in terms of identity. And the only response that I could give to her was, the changing part belongs to the Holy Spirit. Our response is to be loud and intentional about the love that we give all people. See, we like to cherry pick sins. And we like to show up to churches and say, well, if you're not going to stand up, pastor, and declare that homosexuality is a sin, this is not a church that I want to go to. But let's talk about you and your inability to do what James, what John is speaking of here in John chapter 13, verse 35 specifically. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Have you noticed that in the church, we want to do a hundred things all to avoid what God is actually calling us to do. He calls us to love one another. He calls us to go and make disciples, but we get caught up in all of this nonsense that keeps us from actually doing what I consider to be the hardest work. Instead of opening your mouth to condemn someone, why don't you open your mouth to love them? Like who made you Lord over somebody else's transformation? Friends, I can't change you. God has called me to be your pastor in this season. And sin is sin. And I will stand and say that sin is sin. But my job is to love you. My job is to show you that in Christ, his spirit is able to change you. We don't do that well. 
Check out what James says in James chapter 2, verse 19. He says, you believe that God is one and you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Now we're still talking about faith and works. He's like, oh, you feel like you're something special because you say you believe in God. Well, let me give you this truth. Even the demons believe. And here's where sometimes demons act a little bit more reverent than we do. It says that even the demons believe and they do what? They shudder. Some of us say that we believe in Jesus, but we have no fear of him. We live in no fear of his power. We still go about our days and do what we do because we have no real fear. And what is the fear of God? It's the wisdom of God. It's to know who he is. Last week, we said it's to know and accept and believe and receive that he is the Lord of our lives. And today, it's to be willing to live in a living faith. Demons have great theology. It's a weird transition there. But it's true. Demons know God. And what is their response to God? Fear. They shudder. Why don't we shudder in the presence of God, friends? And it's not a fear that says, oh, I want you far away. No, it's a fear that says, like you are just, you are who you say you are. See, demons know that God is who he says he is. That's why when they hear his voice, if you think about the man that was filled with the legions, they said, please don't cast us out. They knew that Jesus had all the authority to do so. You see the beauty of when you stand in what God has called you to and you declare things not because you want them, but because he has given you that authority and that power by his blood to declare it. It's not because you have power. It's because his name has power. So when we stand and we say in the name of Jesus, It's not to give ourselves accolade and to give ourselves credit. It's because his name has power. And at the sound of his name, the demons flee. Remember that for your homes. We dealt with a family this week that has a demonic presence in their house. And we walk in and our job is not to create a show. No, no, no. The name of Jesus. Father, would you cover our homes with your blood? And would you deliver us from anything the devil has planned against us? To fear God is to be wise. To fear God also, friends, is to obey. To obey. Faith and works must go hand in hand. And lastly, in James chapter 2, verse 20, it says, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see the faith? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. There's a delicate balance here in our understanding between gaining favor through works and works being a sign of sincere and grateful faith. Works as evidence of living faith is not something planned. It's a product, an effect to a cause 
of living faith, while dead faith that feeds from rotted soils require adornments to give it life and appeal. Some of you paid a tremendous amount of money this year for Christmas trees. And somebody said to me the other day, my coworker, he says, I paid $135 for a dead tree. And I had never heard it said that way. Oh my God, you paid for a dead tree. But what do we do to convince ourselves of the value of that tree? We adorn it. But the truth is that, well, if you're Hispanic after January 6th, I think it is, All Saints, what is it, Three Kings Day? I don't celebrate that, but Three Kings. You're driving down your block and everybody's tree is just laid out on the side. $135 in the garbage. If you're wise, you'll go to Target now or Walmart or Costco or BJ's and you'll find yourself a tree for next year. <laughs> I know. Mother East Benia said it's 50% off. You better get there today. That Christmas tree won't produce any more fruit if you leave it in your living room. But it might be nice to look at if you keep it adorned. We just took down our Christmas tree yesterday. And isn't it incredible how the room looks so empty when that tree leaves? You're like, man, my house is huge. All this Christmas stuff was taking up so much space. And as I'm finishing up this sermon, I'm like, wow, like we really adorn our dead faith just so that we feel like we're doing something. And that adorning, friends, is planning out the good in your life just so that you feel that you've done something worthwhile. Remember that good works are a product of a living faith. When you have a living faith, when you exist in a trusting faith in Jesus Christ, you have no choice but to produce fruit that is evident to other people. Don't intentionally adorn yourself with good because God reads your heart. What is your heart desiring? What is your heart crying out for? What is your heart believing? Do you have a living or a dead faith, friends? God works from a dead, good works, sorry, Good works from a dead faith are used to masquerade a rotting soul, while good works from a living faith show trust in a living God. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to our podcast. One Life Christian Church is located in Baldwin, New York. To find out more about the church, visit us at www.onelifeli.com.